All right, I'm back. Am I loud and clear to you guys? All right. Well, it's so good to see you guys all here this morning and those online. I know we've got a few people watching, whether they be traveling or they just not with us this morning. So thank you all for being here, no matter where you're at. Um, we're back to regular scheduled programming. So it's been a few weeks of kind of a few different things. We had um, Father's Day. It took time to do a Father's Day sermon. And then I think, let me make sure I'm getting my time right here. And then we were gone. And then we had, um, so we had Dennis come and do the wonderful words of life and shared with us. Um, Even though we weren't here, we got to watch it. And then last week, we kind of spent some time being a family, sharing songs and scriptures from out without the bo- with, with the body. You guys all get to share. So I appreciate you guys willing to bear with me for these past few weeks, but we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians today and go back into kind of what we've been talking about from Paul to the church in Corinth, which is Paul to the church today in a lot of ways. So even though we're going back to 1 Corinthians I had Larry start us off with a verse in 2 Timothy. And what version were you reading? You were, you're, you're changing it up. You're New Living Translation now, aren't you? Yeah, Larry's changing it up, trying out a new Bible. And so he read out of the NLT this morning. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, there's a few key things there, right? And he read them with us this morning. But when, when Paul's writing Timothy... Basically, he's encouraging a young preacher. He's kind of like a, a well-seasoned pastor or shepherd or preacher writing to a young preacher coming up. And he's saying, hey, here's some ways to encourage you. Here's what you should be doing as a preacher and teacher. So that's what Paul's doing when he writes Timothy this here in 2 Timothy. So let me just point out a few things he says that Larry already read. He says, stay strong and preach he ends the chapter with what Larry read right here, saying that all Scripture is God-breathed, and in my version it says, it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up for righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness. So Paul's kind of guiding Timothy to being a better preacher, to reaching more people as a minister. And what he teaches and what he tells him is, use the Word of God. The Word of God is profitable and all from Him, and it's good for all of these things, right? For building up the church, but also bringing us down so we ought to learn. And so, sometimes in this scripture, there's time when it's correcting and rebuking. That's what my version said. Correcting and rebuking. Those are two words that, as Americans, we uh, make us a little uncomfortable, I guess is the way you could say that, right? Because we know they're challenging. And even as a preacher or a teacher or someone standing up here, when you read the Scripture and you know that sometimes it's going to be uh, rebuking, challenging, and teaching you, that's a hard thing to, to understand sometimes. That's a hard thing to humble yourself to do. But it's all throughout Scripture. There's many times when we kind of get knocked down a level to understand how we need to be working in our lives, right? And the church in 1 Corinthians is definitely not an exception to that. They might have had to have some teachable moments, some rebuking and some correcting, and Paul is taking that role in 1 Corinthians quite a bit. So, in chapter 8, 
is where we're going to be. I invite you to turn there today. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I better get there too. It's kind of important that I'm in the right book. All right, there we go. That wasn't that hard. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where we're going to be today, I think there's going to be some of this correcting and teaching and bringing up and reteaching a little bit, okay? So for us as Christians and the Christian church in general, we believe this word. We believe this is the word of God. This is all we teach from, right? We don't have any other books. We don't have any other, uh, like we talked about this morning, priests that give us new divine nature. All we have is the complete word of God. And man, is that enough, isn't it? Isn't that enough? So as Christians, Church of Christ, why are we called that? We're just the Church of Christ. It's not that we're a denomination or a name. It's just a label of who we are, right? We're just the Church of Christ. We're Christians. We're Christians. But what comes along with that is we make the best attempt to just read this Bible, stick to it, teach from it, use it for rebuking and uplifting and all of that, and not add anything or take away anything from it. Actually, that's in the Old and New Testament that we should not add or take away from the Bible. That's in Deuteronomy and then in Revelation. So you know what? That kind of makes my job a little hard sometimes. Gives us that challenge of being priests. I'm not a priest, but I am a priest. We talked about that this morning. It gives me the challenge of being a minister where I need to tell you the Word of God, make it so you can understand it, maybe ride my motorcycle up front so you get an illustration, but at the same time, don't add or take away from the Scripture. So today, we're going to read a whole chapter. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to see what he's saying to the church in Corinth. And again, we haven't been in Corinthians for a little while. So I hope you guys are good with hopping right back into the Scripture. But today I want to get back into it. I'm going to teach straight from it the whole chapter of chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians. I want to keep in that mindset of all Scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired. All Scripture is profitable for teaching and upbuilding and correcting and rebuking. Keep that in mind as we read here in 1 Corinthians 8. All right, you guys ready? I want to read the whole chapter. Can we do it? I hope so. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through the end. All right, let's read. Paul writes, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess his knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know what as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, that there is no God but one. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is just one, God the Father from whom all things are and for whom we exist. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things and through whom we exist. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really is offered to an idol, 
and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, or no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating, <clears throat> knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not be encouraged. If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is then destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. 1 Corinthians 8. You guys ready for a vegetarian sermon? Nancy's like, yeah, I want some more people to get on this vegetarian train with me. Sorry, guys, you'll never hear one of those from me. So all Scripture is from God, and it is for us to teach and understand and learn from, right? We just talked about that. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we have Paul talking about eating meat. What in the world does this mean? Why in the world did he take a whole chapter to talk about diet, about whether we eat meat or not? Well, that's not what he's talking about, is it? If you notice the very first line, he says, now concerning he doesn't even say meat there. He says meat later. But he says, now concerning food offered to idols. All right. So this isn't about the meat. This is about food offered to idols. He's talking about something that's been sacrificed to idols. How often do you guys have to run into that today? You run into the grocery store and you got the sacrifice to idols section, the vegan section, and the, oh, no. Yeah, we don't really have to deal with that today. Um, food offered to idols is not a part of our culture. Now, don't let me, don't hear me say, because I'm not saying that idolatry and idols are not part of our culture. They've just shifted. We don't make meat sacrifices to them anymore. We make monetary sacrifices a lot, right? All right, so it's not really about the meat. It's not about being a vegan or a vegetarian, but more it's about these idols. And that's not all it's about either though, right? We come back and we think, where are they at here in Corinth? Well, they worship idols all the time. And you think about their culture they came from. The Christians here used to worship idols. They came from their world. It'd be like us saying, you know, whatever is American, we came from that. They came from worshiping idols. So something that is in them, even though they're Christians, is a lot of them still remember and are still trying to get over this fact that we don't go and sacrifice an animal to a certain god, a Greek god anymore, right? Corinthian god. But here's the problem. Sacrificing is happening all around them. The whole culture is not converted to Christianity. The Christians know I don't have to go make sacrifices to an altar anymore but the whole culture is still doing it. So what do they do after they sacrifice that lamb? Somebody's got to come pick it up. So I was joking, but yeah, they had the grocery store sections sacrificed to an idol or not sacrificed to an idol. Because after that lamb or whatever 
was slain and laid on the altar, the person who wasn't worshiping that god came and picked it up and made some lamb chops because it was food. But here's where Paul starts talking. There's food, there's steaks from these animals, and as Christians, we can partake in them. We don't think this is a set-apart animal. We don't think any of this is, is actually wholly sacrificing to any other god. But what's he talking about here? He's talking about stumbling blocks. He's talking about stumbling blocks. All of the things we've talked about so far, so far is 1 Corinthians spelt wrong? Yep. Ignore that. All right. Everything we've talked about so far is just the means to talk about stumbling blocks, right? So when he's talking to the church in Corinth, he wants to share about the brothers and sisters in Corinth, what they might be dealing with. And this meat offered to another god, to another idol, could really mess up some of their faith. Why might that be? Well, because they came from that. If they, they remember sacrificing to idols, and then they hear that what we're having for dinner was sacrificed to the idol, some of them would still be stuck on the idea of, isn't this that God's animal? Am I worshiping that God now? See, they had freedom in Christ, but they still had a lot of culture left in them. A lot of things they had stuck in their brain about worshiping these other idols. So what Paul's saying is, some of these Christians might stumble. They might have trouble if you eat some meat or some food sacrificed to an idol. So what should he do? Well, he shouldn't be focused on the idol. You shouldn't be focused on the meat. But what you should be focused is the stumbling block and making sure that you don't place one in front of your brother. So basically the idea of something getting in the way of the faith of your brother, no matter where they come from, you don't want to place it there. You don't want to place it there. You don't want to cause them to fall or stumble back. What you should be doing instead is considering your brother, making every effort to not put anything in their way. You notice what Paul is talking about? He's not talking about whether it's right or wrong to have these meat sacrificed to idols. He's not talking about whether it's right or wrong to brag if you can feel open about eating this idol meat. He's just saying, Instead of all of that, why don't you think about what you're doing to your other brother? Your other brother might be wrong in your eyes, but you need to be there to not cause a stumbling block. Just because it's no big deal to you, it might be a big deal to the next guy. So that's what all of this coming together really means. Don't get in the way of your brother. Let him grow closer to God. Now this is a common thing that Paul has to talk about to the churches. He talks about it not only in 1 Corinthians, spelt wrong, he talks about it in Romans as well. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans. And this is a different church, remember? The church in Rome. But yet, he has the same principles in chapter 14. Chapter 14, I'm just going to read 10 verses here. Um, 13 through the end of the chapter, okay? Romans 14, 13 through the end of the chapter. Paul says to the church in Rome this time, 
Therefore, let us not pass judgment onto one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but, if, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ has died for. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts as to if he's condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul puts it out there pretty clear again this time. Not just talking about idol sacrifices. He kind of broadens the picture a bit, doesn't he? He's talking about eating or drinking or whatever is basically what he says, right? Or whatever might be in the way of causing another brother to stumble. Something that'll bring him away from God. So when he's talking to the church, he's not just talking to Corinth about idols. He's not just talking to Rome about eating and drinking. He's talking to the church about stumbling blocks. Not being a hindrance to those Christians around us. Helping them grow in God instead of fall back. And this is one of those Verses just like 2 Timothy, some of that scripture that says it's a little rebuke and correction, bringing people back. So it's easy to say that Paul was saying to the early church, don't have stumbling blocks. But what about us? How does this apply to us? We don't have any meat sacrifice to idols. We don't ever have any fusses about uh, causing my faith to fall over eating and drinking, do we? Does this still apply to us? I think the principle sure does, doesn't it? It's not necessarily about the detail of meat because we don't struggle with that. We don't have two sections in our grocery store. But the idea of putting nothing in the way to cause our brother and sister to fall away from Christ is absolutely very prevalent in our lives today. We want to make brothers and sisters go towards Christ more. So how can we today, as brothers and sisters in Christ, not put stumbling blocks for our other brothers and sisters? As Christians, what ought should we do here? Well, I said it earlier. Are there still some idols in this world? Some things that take, here's how I define an idol. It's not from a dictionary, but some things that take top place over God. There's a lot of things that can accidentally slip into that. A lot of times we're playing this game and we're like, oh yeah, I've got to put God back on top. 
There's a lot of things that can take that top place from God. It's pretty tough. Look around our culture today. Can you see how materialistic we are? That's a big one, right? And it's a good thing. We love our houses and our cars, and we are so blessed to live in a country that has done well enough for us to each have one of those. But God gave it to us, right? Not us giving it to God. No, no. God gave it to us. Put it in its place. Don't let it be our idol. Some people do struggle with materialism, though. The material things taking that place. I do sometimes, right? We know that whatever we have is just from God, but sometimes we think we did a whole lot to take it ourselves. We did a whole lot of work. So, like we talked about this morning, this could kind of step into that envious category. So what should we do as Christians about the material things in our world? Well, if we see a brother or sister who's struggling with envy over material items, it's kind of our role and our job as Christians to not show them that thing very much. If you're envious over my new rifle, I'm just going to keep it in the closet. I don't have a new rifle, Courtney. We're good. Right? If you're envious over this because I see it, I see you struggling with this, I'm going to do my very best to take it out of your perspective is to not cause you to stumble. I'm going to be the bigger man and not show you that thing. That's kind of how it applies to materialism, isn't it? Because our brothers and sisters, we don't want them to stumble or struggle over something. Ah, here's a controversial one. Materialism, you guys didn't, weren't that into, but how about this one? Ooh, some of us might enjoy having an adult beverage. Not me, I'm just saying. Is that a thing in our culture? Absolutely. We live in Wyoming. We, we have those. I love how the nun boys say it. They're not here, but adult juice. Some people want an adult juice, right? What about that? Well, it's, it's, it's in Scripture every now and again, but what's it say in Scripture? Well, don't be drunk. That's what it says in Scripture. Also in Scripture, we have wine all the time, right? So we've got those two parallels. Now, I'm not making a case either way. But what should we be doing looking at 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14? If it's not good or bad, we know it's made by God, and we know He says not to be drunk. What does that have to do with us not being stumbling blocks? Well, He says not to be drunk. Anybody ever stumble, struggle over that one? Yeah, it's big and prevalent in our culture as well. It's really hard sometimes to know where to draw the line on not being drunk. So when I was in Oklahoma City, we as a church had a recovery center. And it was for women, and most of the time it was from addiction, like alcoholism or drugs. And so we had a really good reason to have grape juice on the communion. You know what? Jesus probably had wine. And it really have grape juice back in that time. But we chose to have fruit of the vine that was pasteurized and preserved. Grape juice. Why? Because even just this much wine for an alcoholic might cause them to go all the way back into sin. It's not going to be a stumbling block. And so for us today, I don't know where you sit on that topic, right? But that's why it's a controversial one. Some of us, 
can have alcohol in our fridge or our cupboard, but sometimes there's brothers and sisters that we're not going to offer that to. We know there's brothers and sisters uh, all over the world that would say that is absolutely wrong. We're not going to offer it to them. That might cause them to stumble. And we also know there's brothers and sisters who struggle with that so hard that if they see it and get offered it, they're going to be drunk. They're going to backslide so hard just because they saw it. So what do we do for our brothers and sisters? We don't cause stumbling blocks. We do our very best to not cause them to fall. So that one's a controversial one. Put your alcohol in the cupboard when you know you have an alcoholic coming over. That's good advice. But it's because we're thinking of our Christian brothers and sisters before anyone else. All right, so my last example when reading this text. And the number one biblical reason beyond grape juice and all of that, not putting stumbling blocks. We need to think about our brothers and sisters first and foremost. We need to take action. But what about this? Have you ever thought about how a lack of action can be a stumbling block? I talked about two action things, right? Put away your fancy cars and put away your alcohol, not to cause your brother to stumble sometimes. Okay. But what about this one? Have you ever not called a brother or sister when you knew they needed a call? Have you ever dropped the ball and done a non-action and caused a brother to stumble? Sometimes we don't get to know all of that, but as I was writing this, I was thinking about, man, this is not just one-sided. This is also when I miss an action, when I'm not there taking care of a brother or sister and I cause them to stumble. It's because I didn't purposely try and take the stumbling block out of their way. I didn't purposely call when I knew they needed a call or whatever your example is. I think many of us can relate to that one as well. Stumbling block can be an inaction when an action is needed. So that one's probably the most challenging one for me. I don't know, it's just on my heart really hard this week. So those are the few examples I have this morning. Hopefully your brain is thinking of a few other ones, and maybe there's someone in your life or something that you stumble over that you're thinking of right now that you need to make sure you help people not stumble over themselves. Be the bigger brother. Be the one who helps remove stumbling blocks instead of placing them. But obviously it's important because Paul teaches it just in the scripture I gave you this morning. Paul teaches it in two different chapters of two different books to two different churches. One in Corinth, one in Rome. And he says the same thing both times. He says, don't place any stumbling blocks in front of your brothers or sisters. Take, don't eat meat if they can't see you eat meat sacrificed to idols. Don't drink wine. That's what he says in Romans. Don't drink wine if it's going to cause your brother to stumble. And I think we're still going to cause stumbling blocks occasionally because we're humans. But the principle, like we were talking about in Bible class, the principle is, who are we? We're a holy and royal priesthood. What does that mean? That means we take some actions to stay that way. We take some actions to look like Christians. And one of those big ones is 
to take out any stumbling blocks we might place in front of our brothers and sisters. So this week, this year, this next of your rest of your life, work on this, because it'll still happen. We need to practice removing stumbling blocks from one another.